This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Kia ora and welcome from RNZ National. Here's Our Changing World with me, Alison Balance. Let's explore the frontiers of physics. I'm off to meet University of Otago physicists Blair Blakey and Danny Bailey, who have recently had some of their theorisings confirmed. In physics, a large fraction of physicists uh, theoretical physicists and I like to think of us as not just thinking about things we're a little bit different from philosophers we're more like architects we sometimes come up with the plans in the hope that an experimentalist will go and do it and see if what we've said will work or not or alternatively the experimentalists do something and they don't understand it and then we have to scratch our heads to try and work out why and, 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 and that leapfrog process of theory doing something, then experiment doing something, then we learn a lot about physics. So what area of physics do you theorise about, do you think about? Uh, I work in the area of generally quantum physics, but more specifically I work on cold gases, so extremely cold samples of gas at temperatures unfathomably low where they become some sort of new quantum phase of matter. So this, this is a, a way for us to look into this very mysterious microscopic world of quantum mechanics where many of our daily experiences about how things work um, are unreliable and, and the world sort of behaves in a very strange way. So, so that's the domain of where, where we develop theories and try and understand those kinds of systems. Okay, Danny, can you remind me, what do gases normally do? Well, normally, like in this room, the atoms and the gases and molecules are moving around very quickly, and because of that speed, their quantum nature is hidden from us. It's all just hidden by the, the noise from all their thermal motion. They're just moving around so fast, we don't really see what they really want to be like when they're cold in their lowest energy state. And so with our quantum gases, when they're cooled down to a billionth of a degree above absolute zero far, far colder than uh, liquid helium or liquid nitrogen, then their quantum nature becomes uh, revealed and we see, their, see them in their true quantum state. What kind of gases are we talking about? There are a number of gases, gases that have been called um, very cold. Most recently we've been interested in gases where there's uh, magnetic interaction and uh, they're, for example, chromium, dysprosium, Erbium, so gases, you'll, you know, atoms you'll find on the periodic table. These are kind of strange atoms to be thinking of as a gas because you, you talk about things like chromium or dysprosium and even some of the other gases which were commonly called to these temperatures like rubidium or sodium. They're normally things we think of as, as metals, dense solids. 
But it turns out those atoms are very nice and they have some properties that make them quite easy for the experimentalists in our field to use lasers to cool them down. So actually having very precise lasers that talk to these atoms in the right way, they can remove all their energy and cool them down extremely efficiently. So that, that helps get you most of the way to these very cold gases. This is mucking with my ideas of gas liquid solid. Yes, because physics likes to do this very often, that we try and understand something and then try and understand how it behaves in a completely different regime. And when we say completely different, we don't mean different by parts, but really extremely different. And so so these gases are firstly very cold, you know, a few millionths or billionths of a degree above absolute zero, and that's the absolute coldest temperature possible, and it's already a million times colder than the lowest occurring temperatures in the universe. So, so extraordinarily cold. Furthermore, they're very dilute. And so we already think the gas in this room, this air we're breathing, is, is very dilute. It's hard to tell there's anything there at all. I have to convince my children that there is something that's not empty space. But these gases are 100,000 times lower in density than that. So, so, so that, that's so dilute that's, um, that they're, yeah, it's, it's sometimes hard to, um, to really appreciate, I think, how, how extreme the properties of these systems are. But this is just, this has evolved over a very long time in physics, people working on, on very dilute gases. And um, this enables these systems to be stable for, for long enough to do experiments and explore these properties. Now, you've had some recent work which has been proved by some experimentalists, I understand. So, Danny, do you want to tell me about that? Our field of cold gases, there's a very close relationship between theory and experiment. So unlike something like string theory, where there are a lot of theorists working, but the possibility of realising something is in the distant future, we're always looking at experiments that have been done and what can be done in the near future and theorising about predicting what's going to happen for those experiments and suggesting future experiments. So in this particular case, we uh, saw that there was some unusual results um, coming from a German experimental group, and we theorised, well, what happens? So what they showed is that uh, in in their gases, uh, little droplets were forming while they were held in their trap, and that was quite unusual behaviour. What everyone had previously expected was that uh, rather than forming droplets, they'd just be lost to the experiment if they set the experiment up in this way. And so once we saw that happen, we thought, well, what happens if we remove the confinement in their experiment altogether? And so normally in experiment, these gases have to be held uh, using magnetic fields and, uh, and lasers. And... Uh, we said, well, maybe if we take the trap away completely, the droplet will s- still stay there. So it'll be a droplet of gas rather than a droplet of water. So we came up with and published this theory, and just months afterwards, uh, this German group realised it in their experiment and uh, and published their results. I'm imagining a droplet of gas. I mean, yes, a droplet of liquid. I completely get that, but a droplet of gas sounds amazing. Yeah, it is. We... Th- most gases we we normally see fill up whatever container they're in. So if you remove the container, or in these experiments we call that a trap, it should just expand out and disperse and you lose it. A liquid droplet is a phenomenon we're very comfortable with. We see it all around us. And it's partly because liquids are very dense fluids. 
there's a number of very comp uh, important competing interactions, surface tension, you can't really compress the liquid, so you can't actually bring the, the atoms in the liquid much closer, um, but they, they are attracted by, by their interactions. And, and so, so there's a sort of stabilizing effect there. A gas is a, a much more fragile system, and typically in these very cold gases, these quantum gases, you can try and change the interactions or how the particles talk to each other. So they, they attract each other. But as soon as that happens, what typically will occur is it will just collapse uncontrollably. So you really need this balance of things, something to try and pull it in, but something to stop it collapsing. And that, that's very difficult to arrange in a gas. And um, in this particular system, a, a few fortuitous things came up where we saw there was a very unique possibility to get this arrangement of an attraction, and in this case it's from these magnetic interactions between these particles, um, pretty much like how we know when you play with toys, you get a magnet, two magnets close, and they sort of stick together. So that's what's sort of um, keeping the gas attracted in. But without something else, that will lead to an uncontrollable collapse. And so a new effect came out that stabilized these systems, and we saw this and realized that with these two competing effects, one no longer needs a container to put this gas in. And so in the experiments, they sort of followed through uh, a, a recipe that we came up with, prepared one of these droplets, removed the container, and it just sat there. They had to levitate it, of course, because it would otherwise fall under gravity, but this, this droplet sat in space. And so very much like a liquid droplet, except about a billion times lower in density than liquid water. So, so it really is an extremely dilute thing. How long did it last for? It lasted for tens of milliseconds, which is quite a long time in these experiments. I mean, sometimes they, the experiments can last for, for seconds or longer, but uh, effects like this, uh, eventually what happens is there is what's called three-body loss. So three of the atoms get together and uh, some of them are expelled from the tr experiment and that takes of the order of tens of milliseconds. So what are the applications of something like this? Does it have any practical applications? The applications will be down the road. This has all come along in quite a rush for us, and so we're still, still digesting and thinking about what the next steps are. But one can sort of think that having self-packaged little parcels of gas could be useful for all sorts of applications. And in these areas of of quantum gases, one of the, the big things is to try and think about if we can use these systems for doing very advanced sensing, so the ability to sense very precisely um, magnetic, electric, gravitational fields in a way that could be useful for telling us something about the environment around us. And so having these this gas package itself into some little container, that could then be you know the essence of something that senses a small region of space and can tell us about the, um, the fields there. What happens now with the theory? Well, it's quite early days for the theory, so uh, we are interested in how these droplets interact with each other. So when you have two droplets, uh, they'll repel in some directions and attract in others, and so we want to understand that behaviour. We want to understand what their ex excitations are, so what happens when we... Uh, tweak them a little bit, how do they wobble, so yeah, early days lots to do. I also think there's lots of challenges in experiments and, and one of the key things about this experiment in Germany was that the loss, which limits how long these live, 
was small enough that the droplet would survive, that they could actually see it. And um, so one of the challenges maybe for the experimental side is to try new types of atoms to see if they can make droplets that last longer. Um, from the theoretical side, of course, we'll be working on ideas for if there's things we can do to to come up with ideas for overcoming the loss and making these longer lived as well. And one of my long-term goals, which is why I was sort of working in this area, is actually to see if this system is a good place to make something known as a super solid. So a, a super solid is, is a phase of matter that has been quite long sought in physics. And probably in the early 2000s, um, some scientists at at Penn State thought they'd discovered a supersolid in helium. And so what a supersolid is is something that has the properties we think of as a solid, that it arranges itself into some sort of crystalline order, yet at the same time it can kind of flow. So these two ideas seem quite um, challenging for us to um, hold in our mind at the same time. It turned out that after about eight years of investigation, they concluded that what they'd seen in that experiment was something else. It wasn't a supersolid. But in the meantime, theorists working in physics had gone off in all sorts of directions and said, well, yes, this phase of matter should exist. We just need the right system to realize it. And so there is really a lot of proposals for, for, for how to make a supersolid. Um, and these gases we work with, the ones with magnetic interactions, actually have a lot of ideal properties that could make it a nice place to make a supersolid. So some of the same physics that's going on leading to the formation of droplets, maybe if we were to take these gases and make them flatter, put them into a container that's uh, sort of pancake in shape, and if we can play a little bit with the interactions, we might be able to make that gas spontaneously uh, turn into something with crystalline structure, yet at the same time still have fluid properties. And so, so this is something we are we are going through. Um, this is one of our long-term goals in our, in our research to try and make some progress in this direction, come up with some ideas, and get some experimentalists to try that. That was physicist Blair Blakey from the University of Otago and the Dot Wall Centre for Photonic and Quantum Technologies. We also heard from research fellow Danny Bailey and the gas droplet work as an example of some of the Blue Skies research funded by the Marsden Fund. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Matewa.